You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, hey, good morning. I want to welcome you guys to Shorebreak. Why don't you guys turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Make your way to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is where we are going to be at this morning. And uh, hopefully you guys are doing well. My name's Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And um, this morning we find ourselves amid the, amidst the poetic writings of wisdom literature found in the Bible. We have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon that all make up the wisdom literature of the Bible. They all have to do with living wisely, living with understanding. And Solomon, our preacher, who is, I believe, the person who penned this book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to teach us a few things, has some things to share with us. We know Solomon has more at disposal as far as finances, money, and pleasure than we will ever have. This wealthy, wise, smart, powerful man is on a search for meaning. He is taking us with him on an endeavor for meaning. From pleasure, to work, to um, building up a life for himself, to his own control. And now he is taking with us on him on this endeavor through Ecclesiastes 5 on the endeavor of religion. Trying to find the purpose, trying to find the meaning of our activity and religion that happens under the sun. We pick it up in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Hopefully you have all made it there. Let's all stand right now for the reading of the word of God. Ecclesiastes 5. Beginning in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near and to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty. Utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much blessing, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and the words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Jesus, we come before you right now asking for wisdom. Asking for knowledge from your Holy Spirit. That even as the pages of our Bible open are open, God, would you open up our hearts? 
Would we hear what the Spirit is saying? Lord, would you help us to understand who you truly are? Would, you, would we push aside the religion and the things that we've added to our faith? Or maybe we don't have faith altogether. Would you do a work in us this morning, God, and recovering the simplicity of you? of a vision of who you are, an understanding of who you are, so that we would worship you and so that you would be glorified. Lord, we know that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the areas of sin in our life. So God, we're going to talk about things today that need dividing, that areas that need the work of your sword to go in us. And we pray that by your spirit we would see those things we need to change in our own life. That Jesus, we would become more like you, more effective for the mission you have us called to be a part of and reaching the lost. So God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for every single person that is in here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. What happens when we understand the attributes of God, but we are bored with God? What happens when we are comfortable with Christianity, but we are not close with Christ? What happens when we cannot connect with what we know to be true on our heads, but with what we believe in our own hearts? Have you been there? I've been there. For someone who loves Jesus and even preaches, I struggle with this often. What I know in my head and what I know the things that I should be doing, yet somehow there is a disconnect between what I know I should be doing and what I believe in my heart and what the devotion of my heart lies. I, I struggle with this. And what do we do? When God seems so uninteresting, what do we do when we become in our walks with God? What do we do when we become bored with him? See, Solomon here is going to let us up for some air. He's going to turn the lights on because we know, though Ecclesiastes is very much so inspired in the, the word of God, it has been dark, right? It has been difficult. It has been depressing because Solomon has been pressing on all the things that we try to find pleasure and meaning and purpose in life. And he's left us in the dark, asking us a bunch of questions, forcing us to say, is anything you're doing have meaning? Does anything that you're pursuing after bring true satisfaction? Solomon is leaving the interrogation of vanity under the sun, and he is going to help us who are playing religion. Solomon is going to help us who are bored with God, who are stuck in sin, and those of us who are simply in a dry place in our relationship with Jesus. The words our preacher has for us this morning deal with this reality of the vanity of, of religion. And let's just let it out here. Solomon is more religious than we will ever be. In fact, Solomon built the temple of the Lord. 
Have you built the temple of the Lord? No, you have not. The answer is no, in case you're wondering. We have not built the temple of the Lord, but Solomon built the temple of the Lord. You know how long it took him to build God's temple? Seven years. And this construction project required 150,000 plus men. Solomon knows a thing or two about approaching God. Solomon knows a thing or two about building the house of God. Solomon knows a thing or two about doing religion. And Solomon, our preacher, our teacher, wants us to know he knows what he is talking about. He's been there. He understands. And that is why in verse 1 he says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Well, why does Solomon say this? What is his reasoning? See, when it comes to the person who is bored with God, when it comes to you and I playing religion games, what Solomon is trying to tell you and I, that the Bible is speaking for itself here. And when the Bible speaking here, talking about us guarding our steps, is speaking of the way you and I conduct our life. Solomon is saying, you need to be careful when you approach the house of God. Guard your steps. Because when he speaks of guarding your steps, he's saying, look at the conduct of your life. Look at the way you are living your life. Look at the way you are walking. Look at the direction your life is headed. And that is what he means when he says, guard your steps. And I can tell you, there are many people who are in churches today who do not guard their steps. I know this to be true because I was one of them. I was one of them. I would show up early, had the alarm clock set for 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. when I was in high school, get in my car, throw my drumsticks in the car, and I would drive to church, play drums for two services, leave the church, and sleep with my girlfriend on Tuesday night. I did not guard my steps. I lived a double life. When I would approach the house of God on Sunday morning, I was convicted. So much so that it came to a point where I told the band what happened. I told them I can't play anymore. Told them I don't want to be a part of church even. And then the grace of God came and changed my life. But I played the hypocrite for a while. And I can tell you, I had everyone fooled on that band. And some of you, that is where you are at this morning. You have come in here and you have not been guarding your steps. Like me, you have played the hypocrite. And some of you think, yeah, but I'm not a religious person, Travis. You, I mean, I'm not the religious type. Listen, religion is you trying to be obedient to God and do things for God while being disobedient. Religion is you having a disconnect between your affection and love for Jesus and you trying somehow by your good works to earn that affection back from him. 
And so somehow by me playing the drums, maybe God would be up in heaven by him maybe, maybe looking down at me and having some compassion towards me because I was busy doing stuff for God, right? And that's what we think. That if I get busy doing things for God, well then, maybe God will have his approval for me. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So let me ask you this morning, are you paying attention to where your life is going? Are you guarding your steps? It amazes me how many Christians even do not pay attention to the direction of their life. They are not aware of where their life is headed. And what happens oftentimes when we get stuck in sin, or when we go astray, or just when we are in a dry place, or when we play religion, it happens because we are bored with God. And we go through the motions, and we do our religious thing. And what does the Bible say? What does Solomon say about that person? Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. What does the Bible say about that person playing this game? He's a fool. That's it. What did you learn in church this morning? I'm a fool. Yeah. We are fools. I think this uh, translation is friendly. We use the ESV here at the church, but if you have another translation, it probably says fool. You know what that means in the original language? Fool in the original language in Hebrew is kasil. And the literal translation of that is stupid fellow. Not even kidding. Like I read that and I just laughed because when I'm reading this now, it's like, so to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of a stupid fellow you got to love what Solomon is saying here. That the person who pays no attention to where his feet are taking him, the person who is bored with God is a stupid fellow. He's an idiot. That's what he says. And maybe you were bored with God this morning. Maybe you are playing religion. Because where you are standing and where you are walking in life is not where you should be going. And he says to draw near and to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Solomon says, listen to God. Look, don't be stupid. Your activity does not bring your transformation. Your transformation will bring you your activity. Stop trying to modify your behavior and ask Jesus to transform your heart if you're struggling with religion. See, Solomon is warning us. Solomon is beckoning us to listen. He says to draw near and listen is better than to offer sacrifices in the house of God. To listen is better than to shout out your voice and lift up your hands if you are being a religious person in church. When we focus on our activity and not our heart, Solomon says, for they do not know what they are doing. 
for they do not know that what they are doing is evil. Why? I mean, that evil? Really, Solomon? Evil. Because there is a danger in hearing, but not listening. There is a danger in taking what God has said through his word flippantly. And what Solomon is doing for us right now is a wonderful favor. Because many of us have never dealt with this reality before. Solomon is putting us in a corner, forcing us in a corner, and saying, what do you think about what God has said? What do you think about the word of God? He is forcing us to make a decision about what God has said. And so this morning, that is what we are going to do. Right now, in your life, you are going to have to come to a place in your life if you believe the word of God is actually the word of God. Or maybe this book is just a bunch of history. It's dead and it's not alive. What do you think about this? Honestly, is this thing dead? Is it a textbook? You'd rather go on Facebook and read people's posts than read what God has said? Got you. I got me too on that one. You'd rather read the news? You'd open up the email and read about things that are happening? Yet when it comes to God's word that is alive, we're like, ah, I don't know. You guys, church, God has spoken. God has something to say, and he has said it in his word. And when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Are you listening? Are you listening? Is this thing the only thing that you pick up, or you only pick this up once a week on Sundays and brush off the dust from Monday to Saturday? Are you listening to what God has said? Listen, what Solomon is saying, it is better for you to hear what God has said than for you to just continue in your religious activity of praising God because it's stupid. It's pointless. It is what a fool does. I can't help but what Jesus said in Revelation 2 and 3, speaking to the seven churches. And notice this, he's speaking to churches Seven churches. And what is a continuous thing that Jesus says to every single one of these churches in Revelation? He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Are you listening? Solomon says, it is time for us to shut up and to listen. To put an end to us focusing our own, on our own life and to join the greater plan of redemption found in the word of God. Draw near and be in the word of God, church. Saturate your life and what God has said because God has spoken. And I'm not talking about you getting in a corner, shutting the door in your closet and hoping that God speaks to you audibly. Though I'm not saying God couldn't do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you going out in the wilderness. All right, God, you better, better speak to me. And then you think you hear something. It's like, was that my cheese pizza from the night before? Or is that you, God? I'm actually not sure. 
No, I'm saying God has spoken. The revelation is here. It's here. From Genesis to Revelation, we have everything we need that God needs to speak to us. So stop trying to, if that's you, trying to hear another voice. God has spoken. And maybe God will speak to you. And maybe he has spoken to some of you. He's never spoken to me audibly. But he has spoken. Read what he has said. When something comes in the mail from the IRS, you would open that up and read that. But yet some of us, and it could be bad, right? Yet some of us won't even open what God has said in the word. Draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Verse 2, he says, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your hearts be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. So in verses 2 and 3, it's speaking about the person who talks a lot. That's kind of sobering, because that's my job, all right? It's not a conversation here with God. He's saying, though, it is a monologue. And you guys know that person you talk to on the phone. That they're really good at monologuing. You know that guy or that girl? You just call them. Or, hey, can I just get an address, please? Like, or, I just, or the, you know, call a girlfriend. You just need a recipe. And that, that's all you want. You need the address or you want the recipe. And then they begin to unload on you for like the next 30, 40, 50 minutes of, hey, did you talk about the weather? Oh, hey, did you see the, the politician? This, this. It's like, shut up. I just need to get out the phone. Please. I'm actually that guy sometimes, actually, so you know. Um, it becomes a monologue and not a conversation. It's not a dialogue. Those type of people do not let their words be few. They have a lot to say. And when it comes to our relationship and our communication with God, sometimes we're like, all right, God, here we go. Let's do this. I got a lot of things to say. And we monologue with God and we unload everything to God. And we, even in our prayer life, we're just like, all right, God, you better listen. You keep keeping up. You're keeping track. All right, by the way, this happened, this happened, and this happened. And we're just like, all right, God, so now you better, you better listen to me and you're going to change your mind. And that's what we do with him. We just unload on him, and it is a monologue, and he's just sitting there like, I know. I know. Like, I knew everything you were going to say before it came out of your mouth. I know. And don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not saying don't pray. Please. That's not what I'm saying. But let your words be few. We are stupid. We are fools. God is glorious. Let our words be few. We can't impress God with the many things that we say in our prayers. In fact, it's really fun to hear people in certain settings when they pray. Because they pray to God way different than they do when they're talking to another person. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like I know some people, like, they have like the strongest, most manly voice. And then when it comes to prayer, they're like, Dear Jesus, um... Yes. Like, it's like, what happened? What happened there? I don't understand. You, were just, you, you have like the radio voice. And now you're talking like a 16-year-old chick. And I, I don't get it. Like what happened there? And then they use big words that they never used words before. And, and they say stuff like, Alleluia, all the time. And they repeat the name of the Lord like 50 times in the prayer as though somehow maybe God would hear them more. 
Solomon says, no, no, no. Don't be rash with your mouth. <laughs> I used to think when I was a new believer, man, the more hallelujahs I threw in my prayers, the more God would be like, oh, he said it four times today. I might have to give it to him. He bugged me enough. Here he goes. But be careful. You guys, we are talking to God. Can I say that again? Because I don't know if that's set with you. We are talking to God, who, I don't know, with his voice created everything, spoke the stars into existence, creates everything out of nothing. We're talking to God. Jesus had something to say about this too in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray, do not empty up Do not head up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, thinking that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Think about that. Do you, in your prayer life, when you're talking and have a conversation with God, pray to God knowing that he already knows what you need? That would change our prayers a little bit, wouldn't it? Our expectation and our faith in prayer would be that much higher because he already knows what we need and he will already grant it to us if it is according to his plan and his will. In fact, when I was a barista um, for a while, it was, it was so fun to get to know people um, who were uh, regulars that would come in and one thing that I would always try to do is um, if it was a little bit slower, I would look out and I'd see their car pulling up, not even kidding. And I would have their drink made for them when they walked in. Like the, right when they walked in, it's like, oh, by the way, here's your drink. I know, I know, right? Tip jars right here. Um, it's ridiculous. I actually didn't do that. It's not true. I mean, I made the drink. I, I didn't, okay, so they came. And in fact, when I wasn't there, they would walk up and they would be like, oh, wait, Travis isn't here. Where's my oh, man, I have to wait longer? They'd be disappointed. They, they, and I knew that because my supervisors would tell me that. See, when we come to God, when we pray, and when we have a conversation with God, guys, he knows what you need. He sees the sparrow fall and die. The lilies of the field he waters and takes care of. How much more will he take care of you? Pray expectantly. And you don't have to use huge fancy words and don't let it be in vain. You know, you never see God in prayer angry at untrue prayers. Like, I can't help but think of David in the Psalms. He's like venting. He's frustrated with God. God, why are you so far from me? He's not telling the truth there. You know that? Because God's not far from him. God is near to the brokenhearted. God would rather have you vent and be honest with him than to be fake and put up a front. I've prayed prayers in my life. God, I love my sin more than I love you. And some of you might be, what? Are you kidding me? You don't, you don't, you've never been there? We've all been there. Yet we're afraid to pray that. And we think, okay, God, i got to put up this veil. God, you can't see this area of my life. But God's sitting up in heaven. I know it all anyways. 
How about you just be honest with me and be real with me instead of praying these fake prayers? You do see God, though, getting angry at religious prayers. You do see God getting frustrated with people who pray to be seen, who pray to manipulate him because he can't be manipulated. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. Free is no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you, no, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Well, I didn't mean to do that. I, was, I didn't know God. I just said it in the, in the moment. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Ouch. He describes here a person who made a vow, who made a commitment before God and to other people. And he said, if someone has made a commitment here, has made a promise, like I'm going to give this much or I'm going to do this for you, I promise. He said, you better keep it. Because if that vow is made to that person before God, you better follow through with what you said. In fact, we read here that the messenger will come and follow up with you to make sure you did that vow. In fact, a messenger, we know, was a, a priest. That was the job of a priest. So a pastor would come knocking up on your door. Hey, what's up, guys? So you do that thing that you said you're going to do, huh? Huh? To make sure that those people who made a vow, who made a commitment, said and did what they said. He says, don't make empty promises here. Let your yes be your yes. Let your no be your no. Because anything more than these is from the evil one. Don't play religious games with your mouth. Don't do lip service, not only to God, but to other people. And that's the, crazy, that's the thing about today with the words that we say is we're really good at talking, but we are not good at following up with what we've said. And when we don't play religious games, we don't ignore the word of God, but when we listen to what God has said, and when we pray authentically, what happens is the Holy Spirit speaks to us and reveals to us the areas in our own hearts that need to be dealt with, idols that we've made and we fashion within our own hearts that, that need to be dealt with. So um, when, when the word of God goes out, even like in a setting like this, or when you're sitting down and reading your Bible throughout the week, God will show you something and the Holy Spirit will illuminate to you, oh yeah, your drunkenness, you might want to deal with that. Oh yeah, your sexual sin, you probably want to visit that. Different things in our life, whether it be religion, sex, apathy towards God, lying, hatred. And God, the Holy Spirit, says, now you see it. You know where you need to walk. Guard your steps. But then what happens? Yeah, yeah, God, oh, God, I'll do that. Okay, 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 God. All right, God, I got it, I got it. You got it? Like, you see it. Like, I've illuminated to you the areas that you struggle and your word. You, you got it. Does that mean you, you got it? Are you saying, okay, or are you saying, well, no, I mean. What happens is the Holy Spirit can even show us, like, all right, God, I need you to show me where I'm struggling. I need you to show me through your word, miraculously, the areas that are in my heart. And then he shows you, and you're like, 
I, I said I was going to do that if you showed it to me, but I'm not going to do it anymore. And I changed my mind because, yeah, I, I mean, be careful with what we say to God. Better not to make a promise than to be a religious hypocrite. See, before we deal with our hypocrisy, we need to deal with our hearts because we all have hypocrisy within our hearts. And we are invited by Solomon to understand what is really impossible to understand, but begin to understand these things. And that is to say, the majesty of God and the wickedness of man. That even within our own words and the things that we say, sin is not lacking. In fact, Proverbs says in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. That is why I probably have more sin than most of you guys. But we need to be awakened to the power and to the reality of God. Because when we realize who we're talking to, when we realize the word that God has written and who it's from, it kind of changes things. Now, if we stopped our message right now, if we stopped it and said, all right, God bless you guys, have a good week. Many of you would be like, all right, I got it. I got to do this. I got to do this. And I got to do this. And that would be drastic for us to leave and to walk away from this Sunday morning, knowing that in our religious activity, knowing that in our dry place or in our area where we are stuck in sin or flat out just bored with God, just another to-do list. Listening to God is huge. It is vital. Praying to God is so important for you growing closer to Jesus. But those things without one thing still keeps you too big in your life and God too small in your life. And what Solomon says here, and I believe it is the most one of the most important things he says in all of Ecclesiastes. Verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanities. My boys do this game where um, they always like to talk about their dreams that they have at night. I'm pretty sure they start making them up because they get crazier and crazier. They can just like, I just make up a dream that I have. And, and honestly, I, I've gotten to the point where it was cute for like the first day and I'm over it now. He's like, Daddy, can I tell you my dream? So I dreamed about this. I was like, vanity, son, vanity. It's all vanity. I don't only want to hear it. I'm, not, I'm such a good dad, I know. I don't actually say that to him, but, but in my heart, I'm thinking that. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, is this a dream? It doesn't count for anything at all. And that's what Solomon says. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. So what do we do if we're bored with God? What does Solomon say? What is the important thing he has for us? But God is the one you must fear. You guys, I spent a lot of time in church. Spent a lot of time in church. And I uh, heard a lot of sermons in my life. Um, I don't have as much time anymore, but I mean, um, I mean what do I do for fun? I, I listen to sermons at times for fun. Like, some of you guys think that's torture, but I know. If it's, for, it's like fun for me to do that. Like if I have an, if, which I usually don't, but if I have an extra moment in the week, I will sit down and listen to a sermon. Not my own, someone else. Um, I'm not that vain. And, and it's fun. Like I, I take pleasure in it. 
And because in all the sermons I've heard, and in fact, a lot of things that are talked about and that are popular today, um, a lot of what's popular today is, okay, let's talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's focus on um, healing, or let's focus on these different things, or let's focus on um, God being love, or let's focus on God prospering us. And there's a lot of that, because it's popular. That's what people want to hear. But even for my years in high school, I have fr- had a frustration about this idea of the fear of God. See, when I come across the fear of God in the Bible, so I'm picking up my Bible and I'm reading, I'm looking at the fear of God, and then, and then if I even do hear a pastor or someone teaching a sermon on the fear of God, I'm looking at the fear of God here, and then I'm hearing it on a sermon on Sunday morning or even from the different sermons I've heard in my life, I'm like, that is... That is a different fear I feel like they're talking about than what I'm reading about in the Bible. Because the fear of God in many pulpits is an embarrassment. I mean, I could say right now, talking about the fear of God, who knows what attendance will look like next Sunday because people don't like to hear about it. But you cannot get very far reading throughout your Bible without coming across the reality of fear God. Fear the Lord, for he is worthy to be feared. Fear God. What's the big deal then? Why do you and I need to fear God? Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Job 28, 28. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There are many truths to uncover about who God is in the Bible. And I'm not saying it's wrong for you to have a desire to unpack some of those truths of God in the Bible. But you do not understand God if you do not fear God. And I have been praying even this week that God would have me come to a place where I have a fear of him. In fact, even last night... um, Went for a quick surf session. I was sick. I'm still sick a little bit, but I'm getting over it. And so um, salt water cures a lot of things. And so I decided to grab my board and go out. And I'm just, even out in the water and I'm surfing, I'm like, all right, Lord, just like help me to have a fear of you. And not even kidding, the sun is setting. It's absolutely beautiful. And, and the waves are pretty good, starting to pick up. And I'm like, God, thank you for this. Like, God, help me to fear you. And then about a 100, 150 yards out, right as I'm praying this, looking at the sunset, I'm not even kidding, a whale breaches, like in front of the sun, like shows off, waves at us, and then slams in the water and just boosh. And, and at the moment, I was like, God, you were glorious. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm not even kidding. I was like, I fear you. Like, I was, I, oh my God, you were so good. I mean, I was tripping. Honestly, I was tripping. And then at one point, it was really funny because someone was like, Someone yelled out, thank you, Mother Nature. And I was like, are you kidding me? Thank you, Jesus. And everyone looked at me like, who's this, who's this guy over here? <laughs> Solomon said, or 
Solomon and the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we don't have a fear of God, we cannot understand who God is. And even when the fear of God is talked about, it is often censored and diluted. And I know I'm going to say some things that I might be stepping on some toes here. I don't care. I love you enough to not care. I've sat in many sermons, and you have too, when we talk about the fear of God, well, you know what the fear of God is? Let me just explain to you the fear of God. The fear of God is, well, when it says, but the fear, but the one, but God is the one you must fear. It's really speaking about like this respect. You just need to respect God. You just need to be, you know, have a reverence towards God. Now, I'm not saying that's not wrong, but that's not it. Like, they just gave you a piece of the pie, but they did not give you everything. You got dessert, but you didn't get the meat of it. And I asked a couple of my pastors throughout the years, and I'm not going to mention any of their names, and I love them dearly, and I still do. They're faithful men who preach the word of God. What does the fear of God mean? Oh, it means reverence. It means a respect. It means to be respectful of God. And you guys, these are pastors. Yet I read in Psalm 111.10 that the fear of God is the beginning of, of wisdom? I'm a little confused. But then I would go and after I would talk to my pastor, I would read the Bible. And whenever I see someone encounter God, they didn't just have a respect for God. You track it with me? Like, they feared for their life. And some of you are like, man, this is the first time I've ever heard this. I know because it's not talked about a lot. Like, you don't see Moses at the burning bush like, yeah, what's up, God? Maybe I should respect you a little. You don't see John penning the book of Revelation on Patmos, seeing the second coming of God, like, oh, look, there's Jesus. What does he do? He falls dead on his face. And you see that time and time and time again throughout the Bible. You don't see, like, John, oh, right, here comes Jesus. Okay, better, better work up this emotion called respect in me and awe. I can't help but think of Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah, God's speaking to him, speaking to the nation of Israel, and he gives all of these woes on Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah, God speaking through him to the people. Woe is you for you are, you've sinned. Woe is you for you've walked away from me. Woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. He's calling them all out. And then Isaiah chapter 6, in the year of King Uzziah, when he died, he said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he stood, and above him stood a seraphim. Each had six wings. He had two which covered his face, two which covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. 
Woe is you, woe is you, woe is me. Isaiah sees God and his glory. The earth is shaking. Smoke is filling the place. His voice like the voice of thunder. Woe is me. Woe is me. When the Bible talks about the fear of God, that's what the Bible is talking about. The fear of God. The fear of God is intense. The fear of God is unrestrained. The fear of God is inevitable. Because one day, you, like everyone else, will stand before God and you will fall on your face and you will fear him. Everyone will. And your first response will be, woe is me. Woe is me. See, we should stop playing religion. Stop throwing around God's name as though it's a trinket for our jokes. Or use as a cuss word. Or God as though he's some fortune cookie who owes me things in life. Woe is me. We should stop listening, be busy listening to ourselves and begin to listen to God and fear him. Because when we have a right view of God, we rightly worship God. For he is in heaven and you are on earth. He is sovereign. We are powerless. He is perfect and we are stained from sin. Woe is me. But then something amazing happens. When we fall on our face before God, afraid of our lives. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, God in his love shows himself to us and he does not cast us out as sinners, but he wraps his arms around us and he loves us. And then the fear is gone. We think, what love is this? That God, who is mighty and majestic and powerful and loving, whom I fear, loves me. God in his love does not cast us out, but he washes us all of our iniquity, all of our sin with Jesus' blood. And like Isaiah, like Moses, like John, after falling flat on our face and fear, God says, now that you have feared me, don't fear me. Now that you've been, and you see guys know the word for fear that's used of the Bible, the translation is terror. Now that you've been terrorized by my glory, Come experience my love that I have for you. Fear not because I have forgiven you. Even though you've played the religion game, even though you've put me in a box, even though you were stuck in your sin in a dry place, I have loved you and I have loved you first before you ever loved me. In 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear and love for perfect love casts out fear. 
So when we are loved by God, graced by God, washed by the blood of Jesus, no longer are we terrorized by him because he is not a judge who is out to crush us because of our sin, but because Jesus took our place, God crushed Jesus, and now God looks at us and he loves us and he adopts us as a sinful son or daughter into his family, and he lavishes love upon you and me. All the punishment we deserve was placed upon Jesus on the cross. And God's wrath towards us was fully satisfied. So no longer is God's power and glory out to crush you, but out to help you and to sustain you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. I love what Charles Spurgeon said on this. He said, and I quote, that very power... Once my terror and fear is now my refuge and my hope. For he shall put that very power in me. I rejoice that God is almighty. For he will lend me his omnipotence. And he will put strength into me. Friends, if God is for us, who can be against us? Fear him. Do you see how it's never been about us? It always has been and always will be about Jesus. Fear God and love him because perfect love casts out fear. God will not use his power to punish you, but God will use his power to enable you to take that next step towards him. Without the fear of the Lord, God's grace isn't beautiful. Without the fear of the Lord, we are too big in our life and God is too small. Without the fear of the Lord, the cross is meaningless and all of our religious activity is vanity. If you are bored with God, if you are a religious person, if you are stuck in your sin or if you are in a dry place, yes, listen to God. Yes, Ask God to give you ears to hear him. And, and, and yes, pray and talk with him. But ask the Holy Spirit to shake you so that you would have a terrifying fear of him. And in doing so, you would have understanding and you would understand that God and his love for you sent Jesus to take all the terror that God had for what was once your sin is now deleted because of what Christ has done on the cross. I want to invite every single one of you this morning to get off the treadmill of vanity, to get off the treadmill of religion. Because God has been rattling my cage this week with this. I need this. And you need this too. May, your, may you come to a place by the Spirit. Ask God. If you do not have, you guys, if you do not have a fear of God, ask him. Ask him to show up. Ask him to reveal himself to you. And he will bring you to a place of terror and then bring you into a place of great love.
Have you listened to the word of God this morning? He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Confess your sin and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for this time that I would fear you, God. Oh, God, that we would be a people who fear you. Lord, there's so many areas in my life where I'm so arrogant, where I talk too much and I don't listen, where I say things that I don't mean, that I make promises to you that I don't keep. I am good at religion, but Lord, help me to be a person. Help us to be a people. who are pulled out of our dead religion and brought alive to you through Jesus. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you have become a father to us and that you have brought us to yourself. We don't have to fear you anymore. We can come to you, God, and eat generously from your table. We can boldly approach your throne of grace. God, may we be a people this morning who eat and indulge in the meal at your table. May we be a people who fall deeply in love with you. For you have loved us greatly. Holy Spirit, just take us and rattle us to a place. If we've been playing religion, to a place of being in awe of who you are. Would your glory be high and lifted up in this place? In your name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.